right. What a fun way to begin our worship service together this morning. And greetings to you all, Fellowship Church friends and guests. The Lord be with you. We are glad to gather for worship this morning, particularly because today is World Communion Sunday. And so not only are we gathering locally, the smaller us here together, but we're also celebrating that there are Christians as wide as the world gathering and as deep as the history books who gather together to share fellowship at the Lord's table, which we'll do later in our service, which is a good reminder that if you are in-house today or in the uh, atrium out there, that hopefully you grab your elements on your way in so that you are ready for the uh, sacrament together at the end of the service. And if you are joining us online, please also make ready. You can join us too with a little bread and a little juice or something of that sort to uh, partake in the uh, sacrament of communion with us together. If you are also in-house, you may have noticed on your way in, we have on our gallery just outside a display that shows the world. We have an image of it on the screen here. Uh, which is displaying the various global connections that we have through Fellowship Church. You can still submit photos to highlight this if you'd like to, but this will be up for about a month's time in order to celebrate this global community of connections and the faith we share together. So take a look at that on your way in or out. Uh, we're glad to have it. And now I invite you to hear these words as our call to worship this morning comes to us from the book that we love, Revelation chapter 7 where there is a vision of a great gathering. And this is what the Apostle John says. He says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, who is, of course, Jesus Christ. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders, and the four living creatures too. They fell down on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Friends, let's stand together and worship this great God.
Pastor Ross mentioned, today is World Communion Sunday. And one of the things I appreciate about our connections that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world is the way we can learn from one another in understanding and in our experiences of God. We each come to our relationship with God and to the scriptures with our own perspectives and experiences that are influenced by our culture, our gender, our socioeconomic status, and many other things. So hearing from the perspective of the global church really broadens our understanding of who God is and our worship of God. This next song is not new to fellowship. We've sung it a lot of times. Uh, but what might be new is that you might not know that the author is a woman in Nigeria who leads worship. She wrote the lyrics and the music, and we are singing it here in the U.S. for the last several years. So let's sing it together this morning with hearts that are open and hungry to know more of who God is. Darkness, my God, that is who you are. 
praise you for being our powerful creator, our faithful savior, and our wonderful counselor. Your love for your whole creation is stronger than all brokenness, division, and sin. On this World Communion Sunday, Lord, we confess that we do not always live into the unity that is your will for us. We ask that you would forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Give us humble hearts to listen, to love, to extend kindness and compassion to those who are different from us. Thank you, Lord, for calling us to be your body. Thank you for your church in all times and all places. We lift up our brothers and sisters who live in areas where Christians are persecuted. We lift up all those who do not have what they need to thrive. Open our eyes to ways that you are inviting us to be your hands, feet, and voice in this world. Join me in the Lord's Prayer as printed on the screens. Our Father in heaven, My name is Andy Gall, and I am an associate professor at Hope College. We have been at fellowship for several years now. My wife, Heather, and my three kids also go to fellowship, uh, Adeline, Stella, and Oliver. And it's really been a joy for us as a family to connect with fellowship and think about the ways in which our church life overlaps with my professional life. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. When I watched the video in church on Sunday, I was struck by the beauty of the world, the opening of the plant, those mechanisms that underlie that, the ways in which the animals behave. These are neuroscientific and psychological principles that I can understand by studying them, but when we think more broadly about how God created those creatures and animals and plants and the earth and the light and the darkness, wow, it just strikes me as something incredible. I think we would lose that amazement if we didn't have a belief system, if we weren't thinking about faith and science coming together. It's really important for me to allow students to see that science is better when we're faithful. And one of the things I think about often is the fact that when we lean into our belief system, when we believe in God, when our faith strengthens, so does our body, so does our nervous system, so does the way that our neurons communicate with one another. And so when we have a strong belief system, our bodies respond to that in a positive way. That's science. And when our bodies respond in that way, when those neural circuits are organized in such a way that there's elegance and there's synergy, our faith will grow. If we were to only focus on the science, I think we lose the greater perspective of who created those neurons, who created us. How did the creator allow for his creation to live to their fullest potential. When there's an or statement there, faith or science, we lose something valuable. Similarly, 
if we only focus on the faith part of it and we ignore the science, we may end up losing the understanding of those mechanisms that are beautiful, that God created. So these two things come together in a synergistic way to form a symphony in which faith and science belong together. So one of my hopes was that for my students to see this connection between faith and science after showing the video that Jess and Pastor Ross put together in church. I was really struck by some of the ways in which my students created some of these and pairings in their own life. And one of these and pairings that a student brought forward today was conviction and humility. Two things that we often think are quite opposite, but yet they can come together in a beautiful way. We can have a strong conviction while also being humble about the things that we know and the things that we believe. When students see that opposite things can belong together, I think there's a lot of value in the way that they live their life through those and parents. Special thanks to Bryce and Hodgen for filming and editing that. We are so grateful to Andy for sharing how God is at work in his own life, integrating Sunday worship into his vocation and ministry to his students. I have to tell you, it was such a delight to talk with him and to get to see him in action, um, interacting with his students. His energy and awe in the ways that he sees these connections with faith and science are totally contagious. I hope you felt that as well. Um, and so this morning, as we uh, have all of our focus here on God and worship, um, this next song, 10,000 Reasons, just makes me think of a creation alone could give us 10,000 reasons to praise God, um, let alone the story of redemption that we are a part of. So I invite you to stand and let's join our voices together in worshiping the one who is worthy.
and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then of Christ be with you. Would you share a sign of that peace with your neighbor? And at this time, our children are dismissed ages three years through eighth grade. Well, friends, I hope that you truly relish the chance to greet one another with your eyes and with smiles and in uh, togetherness here in our fellowship lab that meets on Wednesday nights. We've taken a moment to just uh, remember together how good that is, how important it is to actually greet each other with joy, and you just did that. So, hey, my name is Ross Dealman, one of the pastors here at Fellowship Church, and together it is our mission to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. We are glad for many of you who already join us in that particular mission, eager for more to join us as well. And if you are new and would like to make yourself known, we have connection cards that you can share uh, and uh, make yourself known to get connected in with us a little bit better. Our family, the Fellowship family, has grown just a smidge even just yesterday. Check out these photos. Too late to get into the bulletin, but this is Will and Haley Prinz, who were previously sitting near the back center there, very pregnant. And this is a new baby that entered the world just yesterday. So Geneva Jean, and we're thrilled for them. Mom and baby are doing well. So thanks be to God for that. In the spirit of... Uh, photo sharing as well, I want to invite you to swing by the photo booth that is in the atrium right now. We recognize that the uh, pictorial directory we have for the fellowship congregation is not supposed to be a thing that shows old haircuts and dated clothing styles and stuff like that. So uh, you are invited to update your photo and or get it taken for the first time. And, uh, and you can do that right out in the atrium even today after this particular service. Another thing you can do is swing by the welcome desk to sign up to help with Habitat Build this coming Friday. I think that announcement is in your bulletin for more details, but you can sign up right out back there. You also have opportunity back there to join in one of Fellowship's great ministries, missions, which is that we love our school next door, the West Ottawa Public Schools, and Kids Hope USA is starting up. Pastor Nate will share more about that, but that's also the place to be signing up to get involved. And then I want to invite forward Scott Patchen, if you would please. As you know, we are in a congregational uh, transition, uh, looking for a, a third pastor to join Nate and I, us hooligans together here, if they dare join us uh, in the fellowship community. And Scott's here to represent the team. He is co-chairing with Heather Postma, you have the words. I'll let you say them. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> Don't steal my... But, but right. hooligans is not part of the job description, right. by the way. Right. So, um, 
Good morning, fellowship friends. My name is Scott Patchen, and as Ross mentioned, I'm uh, co-chairing uh, the search committee with Heather Postma. Heather's right back there. Hey, Heather. I won't make you stand up. Um, and I'm here just to give you a quick update on where the team is. And I really want to start out with the people within our congregation that have volunteered to be part of our committee and, and, and start this journey with finding a new pastor. Um, it's obviously Heather, um, Deb Van Skempen, um, Bill Dobertine, um, Linda Melanowski, Westdorp, Dina Price, Jerry Alverson, and Mark Raculli. So they've stepped up and they're part of our team and we've already had a couple meetings, so things are moving ahead. When I say we're, we're, the, the, where we are today is we're gonna be doing the posting this week. And I don't wanna say that that's the start of the process because there's been much, much work done prior to this. There were some listening sessions done that many of you participated in after Lindsay left. Um, there was a culture workshop on September 11th and our leadership, um, your leadership you know, as part of the consistory have been busy working on getting a, a job description in place, working with the staff like Ross and Nate to figure out what, what are we looking for. So the posting will go out this week and we'll start collecting, in, collecting interested people um, and we'll probably start, the, we will start the interviewing by the end of this month. So one thing I guess for you, um, things you can do to help with this process. One is if you have questions, ask. The reason I shared with you the team, and you'll hear it's a, it's a we, we really looked for a diverse team so that there were people in different parts of our sections, our, our community, just ask the questions. Um, we feel free to give us input. We'd love to hear from you. Um, in terms of the candidate, um, if you know people that you think would be a great fit for our ministry and the role we're looking for, feel free to pass their name on to us. Um, we would love to get them. We actually have already received names. Believe it or not, I mean, Fellowship has a great reputation, and we're, we're going to be reaching out to them to ask them if they're going to be interested. And finally, your prayers. Um, certainly pray for our work as a team, but I'd, I'd also ask your prayers for the pastors that are, are, are maybe discerning to whether or not they want to come be part of our family, because this is a big decision for anyone, and we certainly want to support them in, in their ministries and, and that type of thing. So that's kind of an update uh, again. Um, if you have questions um, on the posting, there'll be an email that you can email us. Heather's also a teacher in the West Ottawa Public Schools, so she's easy to find. Um, and my, I'm Scott Patchen, and I'm the only Scott Patchen on the internet, so if you search for me, I, I can't hide from you. So feel free to do that. So I'll pass. Thank you, Scott, the one and only, which we already knew anyways, and it's apparently true according to Google. It's really great. At this time in our service, we would typically be passing collection plates as a continued act of worship, giving of the tithes of our, of our tithes and offerings. We're not doing that particular right now. But I want to remind you that we are in this season, and we're uh, aware that giving patterns have changed uh, in the world, and yet we are very grateful even for a local business uh, that recently wrote a check to Fellowship Church Ministries because they see and affirm what they see God doing through you, the fellowship family, which is really cool. And I want to invite you, if uh, in particular, if you are one who has not yet given uh, to fellowship ministries, uh, you can join and do so and join in the joy of the great things that God is doing in and through this particular faith community. We know that December is not too far away, and December is a significant month in the life of the congregation because we uh, prepare to give away 50% of our mission budget to bless all kinds of other partners in ministry. And we want to be poised to be generous to do that. And so uh, we invite you to join in doing that with us. And, uh, and that's part of our corporate worship together. With that, I invite the illustrious Pastor Nate to share the word with us. I'm not sure I can live up to illustrious. You know, that's a high calling. Hey, let's pray together. God, we give you thanks uh, that you ultimately are the most illustrious one, the one that uh, shines a light on the dark places of our world and even the dark places of our lives. So we pray that your spirit might be with us as we uh, consider what your word might be saying to us this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We will be hearing from uh, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. If you want to follow along in the Bibles that are in your chairs or under your chairs, it's on page 44. Listen to the word of the Lord, Exodus chapter 3. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in, the, in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and broad land, a land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hittite, Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Moses' journey to this point has not been without its ups and downs, you might say. It started in a pretty extreme down when the pharaoh uh, of Egypt at the time when he was born put out an edict that all baby boys should be executed. You might remember, though, that his mother, Moses' mother, tried to spare his life by putting him in a basket and shoving him out to the river only to float down to a place where he was miraculously or at least providentially more likely uh, found by the pharaoh's daughter herself while she was taking a bath in the river. She rescued him and brought him to a much nicer place, the palace, where he grew up with a fine education, likely, with all, everything that he could ask for in the palace. And I wonder if that gave him a little bit of confidence, because in the very next story after that, he went out to the fields and was observing the plight of his people, the Hebrews, under the taskmasters, the Egyptians, and saw that one of the foremans of the Egyptians was mistreating a Hebrew. And so what did Moses do? You might remember he actually took him to the woodshop and murdered that Egyptian foreman. Fearful for what the Pharaoh would do to him, Moses fleed from Egypt and went to Midian. In Midian, he was sitting by a well one day and mustered up a similar kind of courage when he saw a group of daughters that came to the well to also fetch water for their flock, and they were being mistreated by another man. And so what did Moses do? He stood up for them, and he defended them, and then he helped them actually water their flock and bring water to uh, their people. Repeatedly, Moses was standing up for what was right. But it is in Midian where we pick up the story after he has been married, after he has had a child in Midian, after he starts to go to work as a shepherd boy, uh, tending the flock out in the wilderness. Midian is where the ups and downs of Moses' life begin to settle down. Moses has a family, Moses goes to work, maybe his kids go to school, Midian is Moses' suburban lifestyle, you might say. But into the normality of Moses' life, 
God breaks in. Into Moses' normal routine, into his everyday work, and the common life that God has called him to, God calls forth. How? Through a burning bush, no less. It's easy to imagine what this might have looked like, and we really don't have a very good idea. Is the angel speaking out of the flame? Is it behind the flame? Is the bush burning like a huge torch, or is it just a, a smoldering fire? Is uh, the, the face of the angel coming out of the flame like we see in the movies, or is it more subtle than that? The, the uh, particulars of the burning bush, I don't know, are that important. But the function of the burning bush is what is important in this story. For the burning bush rubbernecked Moses. Rubberneck. You know what that is, right? You might not know it by definition, but I'm certain that most of you have experienced it when you're driving down the interstate. You know, when you're cruising at a mere 80, I mean 70 miles an hour down the interstate, and then all of a sudden you see in front of you a sea of red brake lights. You slow down, and then you start to speed up to, you know, 25. You think, oh, that was weird. And then you slow back down, and then you speed up again, and, then you, and it seems like it goes on for miles and miles and miles, or just a couple miles. And then all of a sudden, the mystery of the slowdown is made obvious. There was an accident on the other side of the median, and all of those crazy drivers in front of you were rubbernecking to check it out and having to slam on the brakes so they didn't hit the cars in front of you. Rubbernecking. It's an old, old term. It's actually from the early 20th century, some say the late 18th century, and it was a term that was used by locals when defining or describing the tourists that came to the big cities, especially in New York City where you'd have the stagecoach with all the tourists in the back and the guy up with the blowhorn, and this is the Empire State Building to your left, and the Hudson River on your right, Battery Park is up ahead. It might have looked something like this. Rubberneckers, you know, sitting on the stagecoach, taking a look at the big city. And it was such a uh, mocking term that actually there was an artist that in 1917 that drew this. It's a, a famous painting. It's hard to see, but he depicted the rubberneckers as geese kind of flab, frantically looking all over the place. You can still see rubberneckers today in New York City, in Chicago, Amsterdam as they're floating down the canals. Maybe you've seen some of them or maybe like me, you have been one of them. Rubbernecking is a problem, though, too, right? I mean, they estimate that about 16% of distracted driver accidents are caused not by being distracted on the road or with something in your car. It's because you got distracted by rubbernecking another accident on the road. And not only that, but rubbernecking is when you're driving uh, is uh, defined by, there's a book entitled, the 100 most dangerous things to do in everyday life and what you can do about them. Rubbernecking is number 83. Well, actually, I don't know what number it is, but it is in the top 100. <laughs> rubbernecking is the result of our curiosity for the extraordinary. It's our uncontrollable response to something new, to something different, to anything that breaks the monotony of our everyday lives, something we simply have to see. Moses had to see the burning bush three times, it says in our story from this morning. Anytime the Bible repeats something, you should take notice. So when verse 2, it says, Moses looked and saw that the bush was blazing. Verse 3, Moses said, I must turn aside and see why the bush is not burned up. Verse 4, God saw that he turned aside to see the bush. God uses the burning bush to rubberneck Moses, to grab his attention, to create an encounter with his servant that he simply could not avoid. I think it's important to note who the subject of this burning bush encounter was because certainly it was God. I mean, Moses didn't find it. He wasn't hunting for a burning bush. He wasn't eloquently praying, oh God, reveal yourself to me. Moses didn't do anything special, really. He was just doing his ordinary work as a shepherd. He was simply curious. 
simply reacted to something odd that he saw and rubbernecked, and he had an encounter with the living God. He saw and heard from God. But what's the point of this encounter? Why did God grab Moses' attention? What did God reveal about God's self in this encounter? I'd like to contend this morning that God reveals two aspects, two things. First, he reveals his character as mysterious, and also that God's work in this world is obvious, mysterious and obvious. Indeed, it's hard not to confess that God is mysterious. He's speaking out of a flaming bush that is not burning up. I mean, there doesn't get much more mysterious than that. And not only that, but the encounter itself was kind of peculiar as well, right? It says that Moses turned aside to see. God saw that he turned aside, and he calls out, Moses, Moses. And Moses gets, and you can imagine, coming closer, and then all of a sudden, here I am, here I am. And then the bush responds, come no closer. Take, the, take your shoes off, for the place that you are standing is holy ground. The divine, human divine encounter, uh, the mysteriousness of that encounter points to a deeper truth of the limitations of the divine human relationship. While we are fully known by God, we simply cannot fully know God. God is beyond our comprehension. This story makes that even more clear in the revelation of the name of God. When Moses presses God, who shall I say sent me? What is your name? Who are you? God's response, I am who I am, or it can be translated, I am what I am, or I will be what I will be. And later, God abbreviates it to simply, I am. Much could be said about this name, and much ink has certainly been spilled on the nuances of the Hebrew word for I am, but for today, I think it's good enough to consider the English verb to be. The heart of what God is revealing here is that God's entity, God's life, God's being, God's existence, God's name was, is, and will be entirely, completely, and utterly independent from everything else and everyone else. God is. God doesn't need anything else. God simply is. God is mysteriously divine and completely unfathomable. Or, as one of our forefathers put it, John, John Kelvin, the finite cannot grasp the infinite. If we're to embrace, though, God's character as mysteriously divine, that confronts us in some of the cultural assumptions that we make, and it spurs us, I believe, to curiously engage with this world. It's kind of risky business to claim that God is mysterious these days. I mean, do we really dare to admit that God is beyond our comprehension? Do we dare to say that the truth of God might not be fully understood by us? Do we have the courage to admit that we are finite and that God is infinite? Because if we're to claim that, if we're to say that about God, that would mean that we don't know everything. That would mean that sometimes we might even be wrong. That would mean that it's possible that God made other people that are actually smarter than we are, that know more than we do. That would mean that God could be working in ways that are beyond our comprehension, beyond even our most certain understandings of what we think should be. I think we live in a country where this kind of declaration of our limitations is not often celebrated. And in fact, I would contend that we're living in a cultural moment where it's almost ridiculous to embrace this kind of humility, finitude, and limitations. And unfortunately, we as Christians can be guilty of that too. And my lament is that so often those that are outside of the historic Christian faith might see that in many of us, uh, in us as Christians, too often. Unfortunately, we as Christians are known for thumping our Bibles and cherry-picking Scripture passages to support our positions on all sides of issues. We're known for claiming that our freedom in Christ is a permission slip for us to do anything that we want rather than following the crucified Lord. 
We're known for using our theological stances to judge people as this or that or belonging or deserving or not deserving of God's love and grace for them. Yes, we can certainly have convictions and we know that the truth is Jesus Christ and we should live in response to that. But to embrace the mystery of God is to confess that Jesus is the truth and the life and we, finite beings that we are, cannot fully comprehend the infinite understandings of God. Maybe our most faithful response to the mystery of God then is to get curious. Moses was rubbernecked by the burning bush and God's work because curiosity is the great anecdote to arrogance. Moses engaged with God. Moses asked questions of God. Moses was curious about God and God's activity in this world and maybe we should be too. This past week, I was uh, rubbernecked as I was scrolling through Facebook. It's not necessarily an activity that brings me a lot of joy, and I try to avoid it at all costs. But when you have a sermon to write, sometimes you just need a little healthy or non-healthy and distraction. So I'm scrolling through Facebook, and I see a number of my friends and pastoral colleagues even that have shared a post by Eugene Cho. Eugene Cho is a mm, well-known, somewhat evangelical pastor in our country. And he was posting a picture of uh, some of the situation, you might say, at the southern border, where there's a number of Haitian uh, people that are uh, fleeing from Haiti, seeking asylum here in our country, and a lot of people are stuck at the, at the, um, at the border. And I'm not sharing this picture to make a position on either the, the, if the immigration issue was <laughs> is solvable in a picture or a three-minute illustration in a sermon, we wouldn't have a problem. Um, but I'm simply using it as an illustration of the ways in which Eugene Cho begs us to get curious and how we, too, might get curious about other people. One of my pastor friends said uh, in his post that this, the, our first lens in seeing other people should be seeing them as image bearers of God. And so Eugene, Pope, Fo, uh, Eugene Cho posted this picture and then invited us, uh, the readers of his post, to ask these questions. Who is this man and that infant girl on his shoulders? Is it his father? Is it her father? Or perhaps her older brother? What's his name? What's her name? How old is she? What makes her smile? and joyful. And what brings them to this point? What urgency or desperation would lead, say, a father to lead, to lead his baby girl on such a dangerous trek across a river? Is it foolishness or is it courage? Is it love? Is it desperate and courageous love? This picture and those questions rubber-necked me and forced me to reckon with the limits of what I know and what I do not know and invited me to get curious about something I don't know much about. The mystery of God's revelation confronts our arrogant tendency to think that we have God figured out. And it spurs us to get curious about who God is and how God's image is in other people. God is mysteriously divine. And, and God also makes himself blatantly obvious. The story of the burning bush and God's encounter with Moses there is anything but obvious. I mean, God doesn't hide. God doesn't wait for Moses to do something special. God makes himself known in a burning bush and in an audible voice. And he declares that I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, which is to say God's actions in this world are what make God obvious in this world. Moses, you know that I am your God because of the ways in which I have acted in your life and in the life of others in the past. Your life is a fulfillment to the promise I made to Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Your life, your blessed life in Midian, is a result of my saving work of you as a baby child. God is made obvious in this world by his works, God's action in this world. 
The purpose of this encounter that God has with Moses, though, is not simply for Moses just to remember God's activity in the past and acknowledge God as mysterious. The point of this encounter is that God is calling Moses into action. God was sending Moses to partner with him in delivering the Israelites out of Egypt. This is the great irony of God's obvious work in this world, that the supremely independent, all-powerful, all-knowing, maybe we can even say mysterious God calls limited, inadequate, finite human beings to take part in God's redemption plan. The story of Moses and the Israelites' exodus out of Egypt would become the defining story of the Israelites' faith, remembered and practiced even to this day by faithful Jews. It's the obvious handiwork of God in this world and in the lives of the Israelites, releasing them from the bondage of slavery in Egypt that no human being could possibly done. But this great grand story begins here at the burning bush when God rubbernecks Moses out of his normal life and calls him in his inadequacy, in his limitations, and in his finitude to participate in God's redemption plan. Are we open to seeing, like Moses, how God might be rubbernecking us? How might God might be calling us amidst our limitations, our inadequacy to participate in God's reconciling work in this world? I'd like to invite us, Fellowship Church, to consider how God might be calling us, rubbernecking us, to engage with our local schools because they are a burning bush, my friends. Did you know that parents, the day before school, have to wait for an email or a text to see if the bus is running for them to take their kids to school because there's not enough bus drivers in West Ottawa and Holland Public Schools? Did you know that the front office staff at so many of our schools are disciplining children, the front office people, under their desk for kids that have been released from their class for bad behavior while also trying to do their administrative duties with a parent standing over them, asking them for questions and asking them why things are going on the way that they are? Did you know that teachers are working with students who have missed a, a year of quality education but are still bumped up a grade? So there's first grade teachers in West Ottawa schools that have students that don't know their letters yet when they're supposed to be reading? Did you know that there's administrators in districts in our area, thank God, not in West Ottawa, that have 24-7 security detail because of the threats some people are making against our administrators for the difficult decisions that they've had to make in the last six months? Our schools are understressed. And any one of these issues might be a burning bush, a big burning bush in our day and time, but maybe most obvious for us today as Fellowship Church is the burning bush of Kids Hope USA. Kids Hope is one of the very, very few volunteer organizations that's allowed into the West Ottawa schools. Thankfully, under Karen Donker's fantastic leadership at Kids Hope for the past 20 years at Fellowship, we have never not been able to equip a mentor to be matched with the need for students to be mentored in our schools. But this is not a normal year. Instead of the 30 to 40 students that are um, referred by their teachers to be mentored uh, in their schools, not 30 to 40, but this year there are 54 students at two of our West Ottawa schools, Mac Bay and Lakewood Elementary, of teachers that are requesting a mentor for their students. If you're looking for a burning bush to be rubbernecked into God's work, consider Kids Hope USA. God called Moses to go, to go and serve his enslaved people in, in Egypt, and God is calling us, Fellowship Church, to go, to go into the mystery of the unknown so that we might be able to testify to God's obvious work in this world. But before we go, we are invited here to this table, a table that we, that Christ sets for us, a table where we are reminded that the greatest and most mysterious act of God's love for us and the most obvious was Jesus Christ, God sent to earth. 
It is here at this table that we commune with the whole company of heaven and all the saints across the world. It is here that we are equipped and sustained for the journey that God is calling us to. And so, my friends, we come to this table that Christ has set for us, and we invite all those who love God and are learning to follow Jesus here to this table. Hmm. Friends, as we prepare to partake of this feast together, I want to give you free permission now to start preparing your elements. We know it's not easy to open these things, and so I'll give you permission to start doing so now and keep doing so until you're ready, but hold the elements so that we can take it together. So peel the layers off and have your bread and juice ready. As you are fumbling those things, I'll just kind of tease you almost with the abundance of this table up front, which represents global breads for us. We have stuff from Asia and Israel and India and France and Germany and Mexico and many more. Uh, uh, To play on the obvious and the mysterious, Nate, we can name the obvious that the elements we are holding are maybe a little unsatisfactory. A little? A little. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, in the great mystery of God's work and the promises of what God has promised to us through this table and in his son Jesus, these things are made wonderful. Thanks be to God. So make your elements ready, and I invite you to join me in hearing this good news. This table is for all of us, near and far, high and low, east and west, north and south. This table is not my table. This table is not Fellowship Church's table. This table does not belong to only one denomination nor is it only an American table. This is the table of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it is a table of grace. So friends, as we prepare to pull up our chair to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you to join me in prayer. O Lord our God, creator of the universe, Lord of all life and of each of our individual lives, With all your people all over the world and throughout time, we gather now to give you thanks for all that this table represents, for fellowship with your son Jesus, for fellowship with one another in the unity of the Holy Spirit, for the forgiveness of sins, for the joy of Christian friendship, and for spiritual food, for the spiritual journey. In the mystery of this meal, O God, would you please bind us together with our brothers and sisters just down the street at Hardawike and Peace Lutheran and Our Lady of the Lake and so many more. Bind us together also with the martyrs who have gone before us in this world. Bind us together with the church right now underground in places that are hostile to the name that is above all names. And bind us together, we pray, with your church in all places, all over this world, which is ultimately yours. We pray that you would send your Holy Spirit on all of us, that the bread which we break and the cup which we bless may be to us the communion of fellowship with the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Grant that being joined together in him, we may attain to the unity of the faith and grow up in all things into Christ, who is our head. And as these grains have been gathered from many fields into one loaf, and these grapes from many hills into one cup, grant, O Lord, that your whole church may soon be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now I invite you to remember the story of Jesus, for on the very night that he was betrayed, He took bread and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, given for you. And he said, Take and eat. But we're going to do that in just a minute. I invite you to take the bread that you have and place it in your hand. And together, let's take a moment of an imaginative prayer, picturing yourself sitting at the table of our Lord Jesus in the kingdom of the ages, in the company of all the faithful. Picture yourself there for just a moment.
And now, brothers and sisters in Christ, taste the gospel. Take, eat, remember, and believe. similar way, after they had supper, Jesus took the cup and said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. As often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. Similarly, I invite you to take the cup and place it in your hand and imagine this as just a small, small foretaste of the banquet that we will someday experience. Brothers and sisters, taste the gospel. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. And in celebration of fellowship at this table, we're going to join together in worshipful song. And as we do so, you're going to see some of the photos that represent the connections of this fellowship community globally. Let's worship together.
Jesus is waiting. God so loved the world. The mystery of God's love for the world was made obvious in Jesus Christ. As you go and live out your calling that God is placing on your lives, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and